What is up, NBA fans, and welcome to another episode of Courtside Take. I am Blake Pace, along my host uh, with my co-host Kevin Haswell. Kevin, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. You know, NBA playoffs uh, in full swing. We got Western Conference Finals and Eastern Conference Finals to talk about today, um, along with some other topics. Uh, you know, the Rockets got obliterated last night, and the Cavs really bounced back. So. You know, a lot to talk about. I'm excited to jump in. Let's do it. Yeah, of course. And, you know, not even just that. We've got, you know, the NBA lottery was last weekend or last Wednesday. So, you know, we've got some teams fighting for draft spots now. You know, we got some the combine over the past weekend. It's really a, a really important time for the NBA. But let's start off with the uh, Western Conference Finals. Last night, the Golden State Warriors basically took uh, care of Houston pretty easily. Steph Curry seemed to find his uh, shot back. Um, as he exploded, um, you know, Golden State takes that 2-1 series lead, Game 4 uh, set for tomorrow night. Uh, Kevin, what are your thoughts about that uh, series? You know, uh, we talked about the concerns at the beginning of uh, this series and the beginning of the playoffs in general. You know, there was skepticism behind the Rockets just because Chris Paul had never been to a conference finals before and James Harden has, you know, struggled in the playoffs at times. And, you know, it really showed in this game uh, Chris Paul with only 13 points on 5 of 16 shooting. Uh, James James Harden, 20 points on 7 of 16 shooting. Um, only They only made four three-pointers combined. Uh, if those two guys can't really get going, there's no chance this uh, Rockets team can beat the Warriors. Uh, and, you know, it's disappointing because we really saw in Game 2 uh, a great performance by you know the entire Rockets team, but um, they just couldn't put it together in this game, and uh, it's good for the Warriors that they got Steph Curry back on track. Uh, I think he was 7-for-7 seven seven in the uh, third quarter for 18 points. I mean, he was on fire. He ended up with 35 points on 13-of-23 uh, shooting, including 5-of-12 from three. So, you know, really MVP form um, for Steph Curry. And uh, another interesting development today was uh, that Andre Iguodala may not uh, – he's actually doubtful to play game four, um, you know, uh, I think it's a you know pretty big deal, especially because he has started some games for the Warriors, um, and he's you know a really good defender, uh, you know on James Harden and some of these other guys uh, for the Warriors. So I think Andre Iguodala is a big loss, but we'll see how that you know moves, how that affects it move, moving forward. Um, but you know at the end of the day, the Rockets just didn't show up to play. The Warriors uh, won a game, and, and now you know it really comes down the Rockets season comes down to this this game. Uh, game four i mean if they lose game four i think the series is over but you know what are your thoughts Blake? yeah and and that was the biggest concern is like you mentioned um just the mentality of these these rockets players and specifically james harden my biggest concern with you know he has some of the worst body language in the nba i mean if he if he gets down and if you know if they're up against the warriors and everyone's hitting shots in golden state he just lacks the drive it seems to kind of, you know, answer back with something, you know, he'll, he'll dance around a little, he'll throw up his shots when he can, but if he doesn't really understand, you know, I guess kind of the team effort, he seems to be doing too much, um, to try and keep, um, themselves within with Golden State, and they, you know, they have one of the better offenses in the NBA, um, you know, it's looked like the offenses run better when Chris Paul is at point, um, you know, Chris Paul is, you know, looking to hit guys more often for open shots. The the, the offense moves better through Chris Paul's hands. And so, you know, James Harden, it, it, it's been a good, you know, series for him. He's averaging 30 a game. Um, 6.3 assists is definitely down from uh, his season average. Um, so, you know, you definitely want to see more of him in the passing game. 
it's just it's it's extremely concerning because um you know they they gave up that game at home if Houston wanted to make this an interesting series I thought they would have to take both at home to you know stand a chance um but even at this point I just think the mentality of the team is down so low that it's it's gonna probably end by game five yeah I mean at this point it looks like the Warriors are really in full swing uh you know the one problem they had is uh Steph Curry really couldn't get it going and now that he's gotten it going it's you know it's really concerning for the Rockets um you know Golden State basically had Steph Curry turning around and the Rockets have uh seen the production of James Harden and Chris Paul really drop and not to mention uh game four has got to be in Golden State and Golden State hasn't lost a home playoff game since 2016 which is you know really incredible um so I I just don't see them losing game four uh, and if they don't lose game four, I mean, this series is, is clearly over. I don't see the Rockets being able to pull off three straight wins against, uh, you know, a talented team like this Golden State Warriors uh, squad. And, uh, you know, I, I think they can pull off a game four victory. Um, you know, that's their only shot. I think they can do it, but they kind of need everything to fall. Like what we saw in game two was, you know, every everything really fell right uh, for the Rockets and everything went wrong for the Golden State Warriors. So, for those two things to happen, um, you know, it, there's not a great chance that happens again. But uh, I don't, I don't know. I, what are your thoughts? Do you think they lose Game Four? I mean, is there a shot they can win the series? Yeah, I, I, I gotta say that they lose Game Four, and you know, my apologies slipped my mind that actually Houston had the first two games at home and split them there. You know, now we're in Golden State for three and four. Um, I just think all the momentum is riding Golden State, and especially after a convincing win, um, you win by over 30 at home. Um, your your fans are into it; they're into you know the next game. Um, it, it, the, just the energy is going to be too high for Golden State, and Houston, you know, has a bunch of players that really you know they don't beat themselves up when they're performing badly, but they kind of just disappear. And so you know, I think that this will end in five games. Um, I can't see. Houston really taking another game at this point because like you said you know it's it's got to be the best game from the Houston Rockets and the Warriors have to play one of their worst games of the season and those are just two things I don't see happening at the same time yeah and you know not only did they not have Chris Paul and James Harden play well the supporting cast you know we've talked about this I'm sure we'll talk about this with the Cleveland Cleveland Cavaliers um you know they really figured it out with their cast but you know game two was huge because Trevor Trevor Reza PJ Tucker and Eric Gordon combined for almost 70 points. And in this game, they only combined uh, for 23 points. So you, you really need those guys um, to shoot better, get more involved in the offense. Because I think if those guys are able to score, it really opens up the court a little bit more for James Harden and Chris Paul. Um, and even Clint Capella, I mean, it opens up the lane when you really have to bite on those three-point shooters. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I don't, I, I, I agree with you. At this point, I think it's a five-game series. Um, you know, my original pick was Warriors in seven, but... I'm going to now go with Warriors in five. Um, I, I'm on the same page as you. I just, I can't see them winning. It, I can't see them winning game four. And if they're down 3-1, just knowing the players on the Rockets team, I just don't see them putting an effort in a game five down 3-1 against, you know, one of the best teams in NBA history. I just don't see it happening. Exactly. They definitely lack the the character and, the you know, the winning mentality to kind of pull that out. Um, but yeah, we'll move on now to the Eastern Conference Finals on Saturday. The Cavaliers pulled off a 30-point win over the Boston Celtics to uh, not even things up, but to um, you know erase that 2-0 lead, bring it back to 2-1. LeBron James had 27 points, 
and 12 assists. You also got um, 14 points from Kyle Korver. George Hill had 13, J.R. Smith 11, um, Kevin Love had 13 points and 14 rebounds. Tristan Thompson even got in the double digits for scoring. Uh, Kevin, what did you see from this game from the Cavaliers? You know, they got everyone more involved. I think LeBron had a, a different mindset in this game. Uh, not only, you know, he still had the attack, attacking mentality. I mean, he only he scored 27 points. He had 12 assists. I mean, he attacked the entire game. But I think he took a step back offensively in order to get the rest of the team involved. And I think, you know, it, it not only made his game a lot more efficient, I mean, he was 8 for 12 from the field. Um, he scored 27 points on 12 shots. Um, that's great. And, you know, he got everyone else more involved. You know, George Hill with 13, Kevin Love with 13, J.R. Smith with 11, Tristan Thompson with 10, Kyle Korver with 14. Um, Kyle Korver didn't miss a shot. He was 5 for 5 from the field, 4 for 4 from 3. I mean, they need performances like that out of those guys um, to be able to win – this series and you know we're a pivotal game four and i i really like the way lebron kind of took a step back and really tried to get the rest of the offense involved um and you know i, I expected a game like this out of the celtics on the other side i think at the end of the day um some of these guys on this team are going to show some youth uh, i mean jason tatum I, I know we talked about this on past episodes i'm wait, i'm kind of waiting for him to show his youth he hasn't done mm-hmm. it yet um he had, eight, he had 18 points on six of ten shooting very efficient in 31 minutes um, but Al Horford, only seven points. Uh, Marcus Morris only with nine. LeBron actually uh, kind of abused Marcus Morris uh, compared to game one and games one and two. Uh, LeBron kind of get pa- got past Marcus Morris, got to the basket a little bit more in this one. Um, and Jalen Brown with only ten points. I mean, Marcus Smart with seven. They really didn't get a great performance by anyone except Jason Tatum. And, you know, throughout this entire playoffs, it's been a collective effort for them offensively and defensively and in this one uh they just didn't get it i moving forward i i think the Cavs end up winning this series in seven games my thing is i think lebron can win either a game five or a game seven in uh boston Mm -hmm. if he's able to do that then they're going to win the series uh i could see i i more likely see it because they're down 2-1 i more likely see it um going seven um but we shall see i i think uh, you know, I think the the Cavs are, are showing a different um, a different look out there, and it was something we talked about in the last episode. You know how frustrated we were with Ty Lue not making adjustments, and he made adjustments um, in this game, uh, <clears throat> and LeBron James made adjustments as well. So, with all in that in mind, uh, I got the Cavs in seven. I originally had them in five, but you know they looked really good in game uh, game three, and I don't see them dropping game four at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you said about that different approach from LeBron in Game Two when he put up those you know twenty one points in the first quarter, that was great, and he ended up with a forty point triple double. But he kind of just slowed down as the game went, and you know that's kind of you know in that third and fourth quarter, that's when you need your peak LeBron instead of in the first quarter. And so what I really liked about Game Three is it just started right off, and you know LeBron wasn't taking that many shots; he was getting everyone involved because. You know, the, the old saying goes is that your rotational guys, your your 3 and D players, um, your shooters, they play better at home just because, you're, you know, you're so much more used to your court. You're out there basically for, you know, a, a majority of your season. So, you know, LeBron did the right job in feeding those um, shooters, getting them hot. Um, you know, you take a look, George Hill, almost 37% from three. J.R. Smith, 37% from three. Uh, Kyle Korver, like you said, uh, went five for five. Um so, you know, it was just, it, it was a really good um, adjustment for them. 
And then, like you said, you know, we just didn't have um, great contributions from the Celtics outside of Jason Tatum. You know, even Marcus Smart, I'm looking at the bench, you know, two for nine. That was a really rough day for him. And, you know, he kind of maybe put a little um, arrow on his back after he went after J.R. Smith. So, you know, maybe they gave an extra effort on defense against uh, Marcus Smart, but he really didn't have that great of a game. Um, like you said, Al Horford, you know, just in only being able to get up four shots in the entire game, um, that was really uh, confusing for me. I think he's, you know, been able to do a great job in games one and two, and it kind of fell apart. Um, Jason Tatum, yeah, like you said, I'm still waiting for him to hit that rookie wall. Uh, he's kind of just been the leader for this Celtics team without um, Gordon Hayward or Kyrie Irving. And, you know, sometimes it's just not enough. You know, if you're getting 18 points, that's great. You're also a rookie and you have you know, a a roster of, God, I think 14 players played for Boston in game three. So, you know, you you can't be Superman, especially when you're 19, 20 years old. So, you know, I'm still sticking, um, moving forward, I'm still sticking with my prediction of Cleveland in six. I think that um, after, I I expect Cleveland to win tonight, um, just for more of the same role players play better at home. Um, and I really think that gets the momentum going for them. I think they take game five and I think that they can just finish them off at home in game six. Um, you know, it, it's been an interesting series. I would love to see, you know, in both of these series, closer games, the margin of victories are just, you know, I think there hasn't been a game that's finished within single digits and that's just, you know, kind of annoying to watch as a sports fan. But, um, yeah, I'm sticking Cavs in six. Um, I expect them to win tonight and they kind of just steamroll them the rest of the way. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. You know, I think the Cavs really needed a wake-up call. Going down 2-0 um, was big, and I I don't know. You know, it's the interesting thing that, you know, I forget who I saw talking about this morning, but this game tonight could be the last game we see LeBron James really try in a Cleveland uniform. Hmm. Um, you know, if they, if they fall tonight and go down 3-1, I just don't know if we'll see the same effort out of him in a game five. Um, in the series, I think the series is going to be over, and it, it'll be interesting because if they lose in five games to the Celtics without Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward, I think he's for sure out of Cleveland. He's for sure gone. Um, it's a shame to see him play his last game, last couple games in uh, Cavaliers uniform. Um, but you know, it, it's been a great, been a great run. Um, but it, it was just something I wanted to mention, just because mm-hmm. you know we've seen LeBron play in the Cavs, uh, Cavs uniform for what eleven or twelve years now. Um, you know, really take them to the finals year after year after year. So, um, you know, I'm really excited to watch tonight and see, you know, how he plays and and the effort he puts out on the floor. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, you know, for me, for LeBron to leave, it's going to take, you know, that streak being snapped of consecutive finals appearances. You know, I still am unsure um, what will happen after the finals. I think it's, you know, likely that he looks for another destination. But um, I think that if he, if that streak gets snapped, you know, he's got the consecutive finals appearances, if that gets snapped in, you know, like a four to one series loss to this Boston Celtics, I just I can't see LeBron staying at that point. Um, you know, just a few things about the game, the the series so far, you know, looking at both teams, they're playing relatively equal. I know they've all been blowouts, but, um, you know, the margin of points per game is three um, field goal percentage. Boston shooting 45 percent. Cleveland shooting 43. Uh, Cleveland is shooting. You know, they're both shooting not great from beyond the arc, Cleveland at 34%, Boston, you know, at 32. Um, You know, I'm surprised that these games are being, you know, they're such blowouts because if you're looking at the numbers, everything is relatively the same. Um, You know, Boston has more assists per game, rebounds are within, you know, 0.6 of each other. 
Cleveland does have three more turnovers a game, which of course is um, very inefficient. Um, so hopefully we can get out of these next few games something closer. But I completely agree, you know, if Boston does take this um, and, you know, the Cavs and LeBron James, they don't get to the finals, I, I think he's got to leave. Yeah, and it's going to be an interesting offseason. I'm excited to, you know, talk about it uh, throughout. But, you know, it's going to be a huge game for tonight. And mm-hmm. I, I'm really excited. Yeah, definitely. So uh, now that we have wrapped up, you know, our thoughts on the Western and Easter Conference finals, we're going to move to some uh, free agency talk. Um, it is reported that the Mavericks want to pursue uh, DeMarcus Cousins, DeAndre Jordan, and Julius Randle um, this offseason. Um, you know, the Mavs, one of the worst teams in the league. It's, you know, they're throwing themselves out there. They've got money. Uh, they want to spend it on some of the, you know, premier free agents or trade potential partners. Um, Kevin, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let's just walk through the names of the players we've, you know, you know are mentioned in this report. I mean, DeMarcus Cousins coming off Achilles injury. Who knows if he'll ever be the same player that he was um, before the injury. I mean, he was one of the best big men in basketball. Uh, but, you know, who knows about the Achilles? So that's, you know, really questionable why they want him. Maybe they think they can get him cheaper. Um, you know, I could really more likely see him signing a two- or three-year deal worth a little less money with the Pelicans uh, this offseason. Then you look at Julius Randle, really only a, a one-way player. Very good offensively. Very good offensively in the post, but defensively not too great. And then you look at DeAndre Jordan. He can't really create offense. Uh, he's a good piece um, to have on your offense if you're good with the pick and roll. I know he's very, he's a better version of Clint Capella, basically. Um, you know, he, he's good above the rim. He's good in the post. But I just don't, in today's NBA, with, you know, how talented wing players are um, and, you know, how important wing players and guards are, I just don't see a team, you know, going, going after – Going after three big men just doesn't make a lot of sense to me, especially, you know, we're, we're looking at a lot of teams that, you know, the Celtics and the Sixers, they've been successful because they've built through the, through the NBA draft. So going out with the Mavericks um, and signing all these guys, I just I just don't see it. I don't think it's going to work out. And I, I just – I'm shaking my head right now thinking about them signing three big men. I don't even know if I would sign one of those big men just because of all the concerns with each one of them. And, you know, a young and up-and-coming team, you don't need to sign guys right now. I mean, they're not going to compete for NBA championships in the next two or three years. I mean, they got Dennis Smith Jr., they got some good young talent. But going out, these guys, going out, going out and getting all three of these guys would not really move the needle for me, and I, I just don't think it's a good decision. Yeah, and, you know, you say they're a good, young, and up-and-coming team. I really don't see, you know, the potential of any big free agent wanting to go to Dallas outside, you know, a guy who is – who's won before and just kind of wants to make money like, you know, George Hill did this past offseason. I mean, to me, the only really young piece that I like kind of is Dennis Smith Jr., but he, you know, shot 31% from three, was a forty uh, under 40% field goal shooter, and, you know, he was, you know, an electrifying guard. He's got, you know, he's a great dunker, um, but I don't really want to build around, like, I don't want to go join a guy who's not a great shooter at the point guard position where seemingly every great point guard in today's NBA can shoot from beyond the arc. And yeah, I get he's young and he can definitely improve. I would expect him to, but outside of Dennis Smith Jr., I really don't get that. Um, I don't, I don't see the other talent around Nerlens Noel, I think is going to leave. Um, you know, that's been a mess of a situation. Dirk Nowitzki, you know, still getting older and older. I don't think Harrison Barnes is an efficient player in today's NBA. Um, 
And, you know, I just, you can say that you want to go get all of these big free agents, um, but they have to want to come to you. So I just, uh, I don't understand the reason for them to come out and say that because I really don't think there's a chance that it even happens. Um, and plus, you know, they have a top five pick in today's, in uh, this year's NBA draft. And if I'm looking at, you know, some of the top guys I think that'll go, I think they draft a big man rather than, you know, spend some big money or trade away assets to get one of these guys. I mean, you look in the top few pick. Hmm. Do you think that the NBA is, is trending more towards uh, a, a big man, a big man dominated, big man dominated league? You know, you look at the upcoming draft. Two of the top three prospects are big men with DeAndre Ayton and Marvin, ba- or yeah, Marvin Bagley the third. So, do you think there's a trend in that direction, and that's what the Mavericks are seeing, or do you just think that they're kind of idiots? I I think you know the trend is big men that can shoot, um, and you know DeAndre Ayton. Um, you know, an okay shooter outside um, of the rim, Marvin Bagley. Um, I, I think that I don't get the DeAndre Jordan. I mean, they almost signed him a few years ago um, until they uh, the Clippers locked him in his apartment and kind of, you know, pointed a gun to his head and say, uh, resign with us. So I don't get the point in DeAndre Jordan. I don't think he's a fit for today's NBA. DeMarcus Cousins is definitely one of the better big men in, in basketball, um, you know, but he also is coming off that injury. So, you know, we'll have to see about that. He is a decent shooter um, and has improved his game from beyond the arc. And Julius Randle as well at times, you know, he's very good offensively. I just don't think that the, that Dallas has anything to offer and say, you know, come here and we'll, you know, build a winning culture. I think that they are several pieces away. I love their coach. Um, he's one of my favorite coaches in the league. But outside of, you know, a Dennis Smith Jr. that can't shoot, an aging Dirk Nowitzki, um, an inefficient uh, Harrison Barnes, I just don't see the potential of bringing in one of those guys, especially when at pick number five, you might draft someone who has a higher potential or a higher ceiling and maybe a guy that you don't need to spend money on for four years. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you with the trend. You know, it seems like we, two or three years ago, we were talking about stretch fours. Now it's turned into stretch fives. Mm-hmm. You know, you really want to go out and get big men that can't shoot the three. Um, you know, Marvin Bagley, not a great shooter. DeAndre Hayden has the ability, but, um, you know, not really, um, a, not going to be a great NBA three-point shooter. But kind of off topic, going back to, to big men, I just, I think the way the NBA is going to stay is with these talented wings. I mean, you look at some of the best players in the NBA. I mean, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, James Harden, they're, they're all wing players I mean, I guess Harden is considered a guard, but he's six foot six and can shoot. Definitely, you know, a wing hybrid guard. And you know, I just don't understand what the Mavericks are trying to do here. I understand they're trying to get better quick. I know Mark Cuban's probably impatient with the situation, mm-hmm. but I think I think they just need to build through the draft uh, and do what the Sixers have done with in the Celtics as well, where they you know really opened up a lot a lot of cap space. Um, you know drafted the right guy, built the right core, and then, you know, filled in spots um, where they need it. And I think that's what the Sixers are going to do this offseason or, or the following offseason, you know, fill in those fill in those gaps. Um, but I don't think you can start a rebuild by just signing guys. I think you need to rebuild and then sign guys. And, you know, a lot of these guys are very risky as well, especially DeMarcus Cousins, you know, giving him a lot of money after the Achilles injury. Uh, probably not the smartest decision in the world, so... You know, it'll be interesting to see what they end up doing. I just don't think it's the right decision. Yeah, definitely. And I I agree with you. You know, 
Mark Cuban has definitely got to be one of the more impatient owners in the league. Um, he's one of the most vocal owners in the league. And, you know, for a team that has had final appearances, you know, in the last 10 years, um, it, it's got to be tough as an organization to see yourself in the bottom of the league. And that's just what happens when you, you know, you know, you lose certain players, your, your stars that you had get older, you lose, you know, your defensive player of the year in Tyson Chandler. Um, you know, this team was loaded a few years ago. And then they all just got kind of old. Um, they spent a few years in the lottery. They have, you know, their young point guard of the future, it seems to be. Um, but I think they need to go in the draft and get, you know, that that big man for the future. I think that I would rather, you know, spend, I guess the wings in free agency is a little tough. You have money tied up to Harrison Barnes. So you got to figure out what to do with him. Um, you know, if you can trade him away, I would do that in a heartbeat. I don't think that he's a good fit at all um, for Dallas moving forward. But, um, you know, maybe you want to take one of the wings in this uh, draft as well. Um, you know, McCall Bridges, um, there's a few a few wings that could make sense. Um, you know, Michael Porter Jr., if you're um, not concerned with his injuries or, his, you know, the, what you didn't see in college from him um, because he wasn't playing. You know, the Mavericks, they, they held on, I, I hate to say, because, you know, I, fan bases are so loyal to their stars. But in a sense, they held on to Dirk too long. They tried to run the offense through him still, and he doesn't have the legs for it. And then they bring in Harrison Barnes, and, you know, as kind of a plea, like, oh, let's bring in this guy who was in the finals, um, and he's, you know, our small forward for the future, and that doesn't work out. You bring in Nerlens Noel as our young center for, you know, a defensive force, our next Tyson Chandler, and you sign him for so cheap that, you know, he never wants to play in Dallas again. Then you draft your energetic point guard, and, you know, it's still, you know, TBD, like to be determined. Um, I don't understand, you know, it, it could get a lot better um, for Dennis Smith's career, um, but I wouldn't say it was the best start um, when you look at the rest of the rookie class. It's just, you know, it's an interesting situation. I, I agree with you, you know, draft and then bring guys in. Philadelphia did an amazing job with that. I think other teams should take notice and follow the same. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we'll see what they do, um, but I think there's got to be a lot of concern with those names. I mean, uh, it's mm-hmm. not just that they're big men um, and th- that they're all three big men. And it's not only that they're trying to sign guys before they, you know, really draft a good core. Mm-hmm. It's also, you know, a lot of these guys have a lot of risk um, involved with them. So it really makes it even worse of a situation. Um, and they would honestly be the laughing stock of the NBA. If they go out and sign all three of those guys. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we'll move on from the Mavericks and go to another team in the lottery. Some more draft talk now. Um, the New York Knicks, my New York Knicks, are enamored uh, with Trey Young. And, you know, there, there's apparently, you know, Trey Young really wants to play in New York. There's a great connection there, apparently. Um, talking about if that's a good fit and, you know, if he'll be good in the NBA. And I actually want to start this off. I am not a fan of Trey Young. Um, I don't know. He kind of reminds me of what you get from Russell Westbrook in the fourth quarter where, you know, he ignores that. You have four other starters, and he's just me, 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 and kind of wants to take over the game. And he's not a bad shooter, um, but I think he's a little undersized, six foot two, 180 pounds. Um, of course, you know, guards in the NBA are a lot taller. You take a look at uh, Luka Doncic, um, you know, may, might be the number one overall pick in this year's draft. He's a six eight guard. Um, I, I just, I don't like the fit, and I think that the Knicks have a history of, you know, just taking guys that are, you know, polarizing figures in the draft. They have, you know, they're the big personality. ESPN blows um, 
their their name up throughout the uh, college basketball season. And I don't want to take away from what he did. You know, 27 points a game, almost uh, nine assists a game, shot 36% from three, um, a PR of 28.3 last year. You know, he had a great season. Um, I just worry about the transition to an NBA where all the, the players are bigger, faster, stronger, better defenders. Um, I, and I just think that the Knicks have a history of making poor choices in the draft. They never take safe picks. They take the the high potential or, or just blatantly wrong picks. And I kind of worry that this could be that same situation. Yeah. I, I don't see Trey Young being good in the NBA simply off the fact that part of the reason he was so successful in college was that the offense was built around him. I don't know if he can be an efficient scorer in the NBA uh, we didn't really see it in college. He wasn't very efficient. He shot the ball a lot um, in order to you know, get his counting numbers up. The reason he led the country in scoring was because he probably led, he probably doubled a lot of the great scores' shots per games. I mean, he yeah. he shot the ball a lot. Almost, I just don't almost see, 20 times a game. Yeah, I just don't see an NBA team letting him have free range like that, especially as a rookie or his first couple of years. He's really going to need to learn how to score the ball efficiently. And in order to do that, he's going to need to get his shooting percentages up. He's going to need to work on, he's going to need to work on the rest of his game. Um, I don't know how great of a passer he is. I know his assist numbers were high, but that's also goes along with having the ball 24-7, which he did in that offense. Um, so I, I don't think I'm a huge fan of Trey Young. I, I don't think also that people should be comparing him to Steph Curry. Steph Curry was you know, <laughs> a lot more than Trey Young was coming out of college. Um, so, I, I just, I know the Knicks, um, this, this sounds like such a Knicks pick right. to go out and, and get Trey Young, um, but I just, I'm not a fan, and I don't think he's a good fit. I mean, they have some young guards already. Exactly, yeah, and, you know, even just more of his shooting numbers, he took 10 threes a game, and I, I you know, I don't think that's an efficient way to start, and like you said, he was the number one option. He won't be the number one option on the New York Knicks. That is Kristaps Porzingis, their bona fide star, their seven foot three Latvian who can shoot from three and you know get over two blocks a game. They have that star player, and I don't know if he can delegate and be the second guy on a team. Then you mentioned we have a couple other young guards. You know we have we traded for Emmanuel Mudiay, and um, he you know played pretty well towards the end of the season. We also had Trey Burke, who we brought up from the G League, who had a great season with the Knicks. Um, he's also, you know, an undersized guard, but he was a solid guy, a guy that I think can find a role on the bench for the Knicks. And then we drafted Frank Natilakina last year in the first round. And, you know, you know, I, I'm not sure what's going to come of that. He still needs to improve his shooting, but he is a, one of the better defenders, one of the better young defenders at the guard position. Um, he has potential to slide over to the two if necessary. But I just don't see the, the the reason to bring in another point guard um, into this core when you have a glaring need at small forward. Uh, you you know, you were putting Michael Beasley there. Tim Hardaway Jr. was sliding over to the three. But I think, you know, he can still play as a two guard. And there are, you know, plenty of small forwards that I think would be a good fit in New York. Um, you know, great shooters that can, you know, just hit side uh, like a Trevor Ariza can just stay in the corner and hit shots and play defense. I don't understand um, taking risky players in the draft when you have a history of failure in the draft, and that's got Trey Young written all over it. Yeah, I, there's a lot of risk always involved with these lottery picks, um, you know, especially the ones that fall after the you know, bona fide starts like DeAndre Hayden, 
uh, Luka Dondich and, you know, Marvin Bagley. I feel like there's more risk as you move down the board. And Trey Young probably has the most risk out of any guy in the lottery. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, I'm not sure what you're going to get. And I don't know if you're the New York Knicks with a young core. I don't know if you take a guy that's risk risky when you can take, you know, someone else like a Miles Bridges or a Michael Bridges, you know, someone that will provide more consistency um, and, and something you're, you you kind of know you're, what you're going to get. It might not be as high of a ceiling, um, but at least you know what you're going to get and you know he'll you know contribute, be a contributor to this team as, you know, as they improve over the years. Definitely. And, you know, for the Knicks, you know, one last thing that you have to worry about, Kristaps um, Porzingis, you know, has already had some tension with ownership at um, with the New York Knicks. Of course, he never got along with Phil Jackson. Him and some of his coaches haven't gotten along. They are walking on a very tight line. Um, if they make the wrong move and don't bring in a guy, you know, if, if, you know, one of these small forwards drops beyond the Knicks pick and has, you know, a Jason Tatum-like year and Trey Young has uh, a Markel Fultz year, sorry to throw that in your face again, um, but, you know, Kristaps could, yeah, yeah, but Kristaps could become angry at that point, um, you know, even more fed up with how the Knicks have been run and he could leave just like that and I just... You have a star on your team. You need to also take into account what he wants. You know, you, you, you don't want to cater to every single need of that guy, but when he's probably one of the best talents you've had in recent history, I would do what I can to make sure he stays happy and also build for the future. I think Trey Young would go against both of those. Definitely. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they, they make the move for Trey Young in the draft, but, uh, you know, I, I still think, he has one of the highest ceilings in the draft. I just see, you know, his floor being extremely low. Definitely. Um, it has the potential to be extremely low. So, you know, we'll see. I, I obviously will be cheering him on just because he was an exciting player in college. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I just don't I don't agree with where the Knicks, what the Knicks are thinking right now. Definitely. And so moving on to our last topic of the day, uh, Mike Budenholzer has signed with the Milwaukee Bucks to be their new head coach. Um, Budenholzer coming from the Atlanta Hawks, who, um, you know, have a top three pick next year uh, or this upcoming draft. You know, it, you know, you kind of felt bad for him. You know, he was a he's a good coach in the NBA and he just kind of lost all his stars over the years. Lost Al Horford to Boston, Paul Millsap to Denver. That roster, his free agents just kind of chose you know, to go to better places um, or better situations that they felt. Um, and he was, you know, agreed to part ways with the Hawks um, before signing with the Bucks. Uh, do you, Kevin, do you think that, you know, this new head coach will get the most out of Giannis, this young core, and make the Bucks relevant next year? Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I think the Bucks coming into this year, you know, a lot of people were saying that they could rival the Cavaliers talent-wise on that roster. I mean, with young players like Jabari Parker, you know, Giannis, um, you know, when they acquired Eric Bledsoe, people, you know, thought they kind of completed the whole core. Um, you know, they looked really good uh, parts of the season, but then they also looked really bad other parts of the season. So it's no surprise they moved on. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Budenholzer. Um, I mean, he hasn't done much in his career to, you know, really take a team over the top and win an NBA championship. So to, you know, take the Bucks from being, you know, an eight seed or – you know, borderline playoff team to a championship contender. I'm not sure he can make that happen. There's the talent there to make it happen, um, but I just don't think Mike Budenholzer is the guy. 
Yeah, and, you know, I might disagree a little with that. I would say that, um, you know, this is definitely the the best coach that the Bucks have had since Giannis has been there. I, you know, I was never a fan of Jason Kidd as a coach. Um, their interim head coach wasn't able to get much done either. Um, yeah, I probably would have liked to see the Bucks hire maybe even Dwayne Casey um, since he was let go from the Raptors. But I definitely think that he was, of the coaches that were available at the time, the second best option. So I'm glad that they went with him um, instead of other options. But I definitely agree with you that it's, you know, kind of risky. Um, you're bringing in a guy to a team that, you know, should have a lot of young talent. Um, Giannis, of course, is one of the top players in the league. Um, but, you know, next to him, Jabari Parker, you know, has, you know, not recovered from his ACL injuries as well as you would hope. Uh, Thon Maker, um, we still have to see, you know, if he can... Um, you know, maximize his potential as a big man in this league. Eric Bledsoe, of course, um, was brought in. They have the right pieces. I like the rotation. Um, just for some reason, it hasn't worked, you know, and I'm not sure if it's a, you know, Giannis needs to prove he can be an outside scorer, you know, develop his mid-range, which is, you know, something we've talked about for a while that he needs to do. I'm not sure if that's the missing piece or if it was just good coaching that will. I will say that this is definitely the one of the better options or one of the better coaches the Bucks have had in the past few years. Yeah, no, and I agree. I agree that he's probably the the best coach they've had in years, but I just don't know if he's the guy that can take them from you know a borderline playoff team to a contender. I I don't know if he's the right guy, and, and you know time will tell. Uh, you know, a lot of people might not have thought Steve Kerr would be a great NBA coach and mm-hmm. look at him now. Um, I mean, two NBA championships might as well be three after this year. And, you know, so there's there's going to be skepticism um, behind Budenholzer, but he's got the talent there. He's just got to kind of put it all together. Yeah, and, and the Bucks, just like the Knicks, they're walking a tight line right now because you have a young star who has the freedom in, I'm not sure if it's a year or two, but he, he can go play wherever he wants. Um, and, you know, if there was like a, a report that came out that um, Giannis was very upset when they fired Jason Kidd. Apparently the two of them had an extremely close connection. Um, you know, hopefully Budenholzer can, you know, find that same connection with Giannis because, you know, if Giannis wants to leave, um, you know, it seems that in today's NBA, any NBA star that is unhappy can get traded can leave in free agency. You saw it last year with Paul George, Jimmy Butler, um, guys who, you know, Carmelo Anthony, guys who don't want to play on their current teams, you know, they kind of have all the power. And um, just like we said with the Knicks and Kristaps, the Bucks definitely have a chance that they miss out on Giannis in the rest of his career. And you could, you know, uh, you know, five, ten years down the road be looking at missing one of the all-time greats. So hopefully this was the right move. Um, but yeah, we'll just have to wait and see on that one, I guess. Yep, it's definitely going to be interesting. I, you know, coming into the season, like I said, they were, you know, perennial contenders, uh, roster talent-wise, um, but they never really put it together. And you know, change of head coach might be might be the change they need. Mm-hmm, definitely. So that'll wrap it up for this episode of Courtside Take. Kevin, is there anything you want to get off your chest before we uh, finish things up? The Sixers are going to either get Kawhi Leonard or. LeBron or Paul George this offseason. I'm stamping that right here on the episode. Man. Uh, and trust the process. Yeah, well, you know, in New York, we're trusting our own process. It is called Christoph's Porzingis, Dave Fisdale, and the number eight pick. 
or number nine pick actually man you know that that makes me mad all right we're gonna wrap things up now uh for kevin haswell i'm blake pace we'll catch you later thanks guys